0: This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went, and tried to rent them out, and then he became one real investor man. Hello, simple passive cash flow listeners. Today we have Peter Yawitz, who is the writer of Flip Flops and Microwaved Fish, available on Amazon.com. Um, it's on, it's, I think it's on like the top shelf, right? The virtual shelf, almost one of the top. It's on your top shelf.
1: It's on my top shelf. Actually, (laughs) uh, I don't, I try not to get crazy. I have a lot of friends who are authors and when their books come out, they start to check the ranking daily. And I, that would only make me crazy. So I really don't look at it too much. It's like Googling yourself. I don't want to do that. Right. So I'm not. So Peter is
0: also a podcaster he has um his podcast is called somewhere else's dad and um we we kind of started this uh, we we're talking off air and peter was like what the heck do you want to talk about on your investing show and he, here's where i'm coming from for the folks who are listening we're not going to talk too much about real estate investing Per se, but, but stay tuned anyway. Right. So if, if you only wanted to hear about turnkey rentals or how to analyze syndication deals or something of that sort, you could probably skip this. But a lot of people that listen to Simple Passive Cashflow are higher net worth and we have a wide range of folks here and you know we have a lot of first world problems and I, I don't want to sound too whiny, but things like whatever what is our kids going to do? What kind of legacy we're we going to leave behind. So Peter is an expert in um, navigating the do's and don'ts of workplace culture. And um, I guess, Peter, why don't you kind of go over your, your background, your formal background a little bit, just so people have some context and you know, where we're coming from. Sure, I'd be
1: happy to. Uh, I'm a native New Yorker. That's, I think that defines me in many ways. I don't know what that means, but it just defines me that, I, that I'm a native New Yorker. Sometimes people say to me, wow, you're one of the few who actually grew up in Manhattan. And I, and I want to say, well, I bet there were more people who grew up in my hometown than your hometown. It's just that people come to New York and they don't meet a lot of natives. They meet people who come from different places. So that, I don't know, that just informs me that's who I am. I spent, I've spent i spent most of my career working with financial services people, helping people ident- and groups identify their messages and, and who their audiences are and how to make that match. So that's, that's pretty much the, the background. And I wrote the book. Uh, which just came out in January, because I just find we're at an interesting time. You know, we've got four generations of workers in the workplace, and people. My generation, I'm a baby boomer. We uh, always had those millennials, those new kids. All you know, they're so entitled. They want this. They want that. They, and, and, you know, we were never like that, and of course, we were like that in some way. So I and then I work with the millennials, and they yes, they they kind of know what they want. I mean, they want to have a good work life balance. But a lot of it, they don't know how to communicate effectively. They don't know the basics because they spend a lot of time texting, let's say, and they don't know how to approach people. I mean, one of the things that scares them to death is small talk. Oh my gosh, have you ever, you know, I, I go into an office building and if you sit in an elevator, everybody is there looking at their phones. Not that you have to have a big conversation on the elevator, but no one wants to talk. No one wants to make eye contact. You just want to check your own thing. Leave me alone. So I have some fun exercises that I do in these seminars with these kids to keep them engaged and, and give them tips on on small talk, among other things. Yeah, so, so that's, that, that's
0: what I call like a binary skill set, right? Like, I think that's what's kind of helped is, me Are you out. insulting me, Lane? I I call it a, um like, so engineers are usually horrible with people, right? But a lot of my investor uh-huh. base that are engineers that make over 100, 200 grand a year, you know, if you call salaries, you're high performers um uh-huh. they are analytical people yet they are good shooting with people and uh-huh. they're more on the sales side as opposed to the technical side so right. if you can be good at things that people aren't such as a seven foot basketball player that can drain threes you know you are going to rise above your competition as you Kind of mentioned?
1: Well, I, you know, I guess that's why I, I've developed a niche for myself that's been successful, is that I recognize that there, there is that need. And, you know, I work with anybody who's technical, it could be engineers, it could be economists, it could be financial people, They're, or even people in technology, they are technical experts. And it's interesting when they have to talk outside of their comfort zone or not, not technology people, not economists. And what I say to a lot of people when I'm working with them on making a big presentation is remember, this audience is not studying for the test. They don't have to know all the nitty gritty. That's, and even when they're writing, I joke around and say, that's why God invented attachments. You know, Save all the nitty gritty for attachments and make sure that when you're writing something in an email to me, it's just, just the facts, just the basic stuff. What do I need to do? Why, and why is this going to benefit me? So uh, I, I really try to inform people and, and challenge people to think about what their real messages are and who their real audiences are and how to match that appropriately.
0: Yeah, one of the last couple of years when I was working in in corporate America, we did this colors training, and it sounds a
1: little oh, yeah. lame,
0: yeah, yeah. But I realized that I'm a green person, which like I'm like, don't give me any fluff. Just tell me what it what needs to be done or whatever. But you know, the takeaway is you you learn that other people are different colors, and you may need to talk about what you That's did all in there the is weekend. to
1: it. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Well, there are a lot of those those tests and I think they're interesting, but it's really, to me, that's the moral of the story for those tests. There is, you're a green or you're blue or red. It doesn't really mean anything. It just means how you prefer to work with people and recognize that people are different and people have different styles. I do a takeoff on that in my book. Uh, I call it the sea creature assessment test or SCAT. And, and I don't really have a test, but I, but I bring them down. To, are you a minnow? Are you a shark? Are you a... Uh, bloated whale and just the point is you can label yourself whatever but the dangers of those tests are one that you label yourself and you say I'm sorry I can't do that I'm not that type of person because I'm a green I'm not a red and greens don't do that and that's just not right and the other thing is if you just label four types of colors you know green yellow red blue let's say there are gray areas to use in a color uh, there you know, some people are greenish blue and also then in different, different tasks or different environments at home, you might, you might be a green at work, but you might be a total red at home. And I'm not even talking about what those things mean. I'm just you know pretending I know what those colors mean. So, and, and the other thing that I found is that, you know, I did an MBTI, the Myers-Briggs, a long, long time ago, and I defined myself IMO, whatever. And then I did a little short test, uh, and I came out completely different. And I was, I said, something's wrong with the test. Something's wrong with the test. I don't know. I don't, they changed it. And the point is that I've changed. I've changed. I might approach things differently, or maybe the examples I was thinking about when I was answering the questions are different in terms of how, how I respond or how I deal with people today. So I, you know, I think those tests are valid, but I think you are absolutely right that the moral of the story is that we're all different. And to be an effective communicator, you have to recognize that there are differences and flex your style a little bit to deal with those people who are different. And so we got
0: quite a range of investors listening and you know some are older with kids what are some of those um what are some of the takeaways that you can kind of impart on you know parents who they have a million few million dollar net worth yet their dang kid is just screwing around in high school and college what what is some things that they can do to make sure their kid just doesn't become another trust fund kid
1: and squander all their money and <laughs> well um as a parent of of older kids than, than, than teenagers, and I've gone through that, but, but believe me, I, my kids were not trust fund kids. I think, uh, you know, parents have a responsibility to instill basic values. And I think that that's the important thing. When I, 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 you know, I'm just a data point here, but when I hear how my kids reacted to different people or how they responded in a very tough situation, and I hear that, th- that makes me proud more than anything else. So I think that, you can nag your kid to do whatever you feel you want them to do, but you know what? The kids are going to make their own decisions and don't hold the money <laughs> and say, if you do this, then you're going to get your trust fund. They're going to, the kids are going to come out, okay, I just think it's important for you to instill decent values in the children. Uh, the other thing that I see when I talk to companies, and certainly I see this in more in colleges, where I, this did not exist when, when I was in college, is that parents are more involved. And it, at school, they make allowances for that, For in colleges, for them to be able to find out what's going on or talk to a counselor. But in the real world, I've heard stories where Parents want to come to their their children's performance reviews, or they want to be their advocate for raises. And I think you got to step away, back off. That's a, a term that my wife has used probably more than any other term to me, and I know what she means by that. Yeah, that's says, a helicopter pilot, right? That once yeah. the kid goes helicopter off, helicopter Yeah, when I yeah. we were not we were not helicopter parents at all. But I certainly the back off is when you go a little bit too far and say things that that you shouldn't say. So I, I think that let kids make their own mistakes. That, I think that's that's another. Piece of advice. And you know what? If they buy my book, if they buy my book or you buy my book for them, I think that they might some, get some t- tips on how to manage life at work. We're all going to mess up at some point in your first job, but usually it's not going to be a terrible mistake. It's just a process of learning. You know, parenting styles are different, but, but to me, I'm, I'm always impressed when I meet young folks who are polite and, I don't know, have a sense of themselves and have a sense of what, what good values are. It, makes, it means a lot to me. You don't have to listen to me. I'm just someone else's dad.
0: I mean, I I think the the advice that I like to impart, and when we talk about in the passive investor accelerator a lot, is like, look, we don't trust these kids. We're going to create the trust with different payment amounts. You get 25% at 25, 50% at 65 with pending drug tests approval. (laughs) Okay, so that's the carrot. It's
1: like being drug-free. That's the carrot. What's the other carrot? But what's the other carrot? You know, If you're a trust fund kid maybe the carrot is not something just not being on drugs. Maybe the carrot is, well, what have you done for humanity at age 25? Or what what steps have you put in place to do something good for other people? And then I'll release the money if I see that you're doing something well. Right, I'm, I'm, right. I'm proud, but, but the, tru- the, the trouble
0: know. is like, you know, once you're gone away from the wor- world and you have this document, that archaic document, it's, you know, it's it's hard unless you have a trustee that's still alive to administer the document for you, you have to go off binary things. Is it a positive or negative drug test? You know, have, has, have your child created X amount of net worth or X amount of cash flow? you know, created wealth the right way, you know, instead of just building up assets with a lot more liabilities, like how most people are, but I don't know. I'm not an expert. I'm, I'm just kind of just,
1: I'm not an, I'm not an expert either. I'm not an expert either on how to manage your trust fund. Uh, And I have to say that I don't have a large client. Well, maybe I have client base, but I don't talk to them about that, about how they're managing their kids. But I have heard many stories of, you know, friends of friends who have trust fund babies who did not do well because they never really had responsibility. But I don't want to, I don't want to pass judgment on that because again, I'm just talking a couple of data points. A lot of my
0: clientele are first generation wealth. So they've kind of built built the wealth up themselves. They don't want to see it mm-hmm. go away. And at the end of the day, their biggest goal is they just don't want their kids to have to work for money like how they did. Have to go to a dollars $80,000 a year job because they had to. Had to go work for a big four accounting company and sell their soul and get coffee for everybody else for a couple of years. They want, the, they want the kid to struggle and to build skill sets. And maybe getting coffee is one of those skill sets amongst the other things that they make you do in the beginning um, as the new guy at work. But they they want the individual to kind of not really have to work for money and to do something that they're passionate about, like you said, that benefits humanity. But it's it's hard, right? I mean, there's a fine line between working for the benefit of of the world, not having to work for money and not doing anything. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. One one thing don't work for anything. So I'll say another thing. And let me say another thing here about that. And again, I'm just throwing data points out as part of my podcast, which is you can find at my website, someone else's dad.com and the website is, is deadcom slash podcast, is that I, I answer questions along with uh, co-hosts uh, about workplace issues. And we have a lot of fun doing that. We talk about some issues in the workplace. And then I also interview what I call an exciting young CEO, someone who is maybe under 35, who has started a business from, started a business from scratch and has developed uh, his or her own her, his or her own culture, because uh, they wanted to define to, to a good workplace for people that want to want to be part of it and be part of this excitement. And I've had the experience of talking to a couple of young people who have started non-for-profits or, or NGOs, and. I think there, you know, there are a lot of young people that I, that I know who, of course, have to pay the bills and they, they want to get jobs to, re, let's say, repay their loans. But at some point, they do want to work for a nonprofit or feel they're doing something good with their life, You know the old existential crisis. And one guy in particular said, and so they said, oh, but I'm wasting my time working at this consulting firm or working at this bank or working even, as you said, in the, one of the big four accounting firms. And this guy said, all those skills that you develop in the early parts of your Career, you think okay, it's a two-year investment banking program, whatever. You will develop skills that are absolutely valuable to people later on in your career. If you want to go into nonprofits, because people who go directly into nonprofits just don't don't necessarily have that training. They go in, and the first thing they have to do is try to raise funds, and then they try to uh, if you know follow what everyone is doing, and and without a lot of training. I know that I, again, I'm not contradicting anybody here, but I think in my experience, the people who want to do something. Good for the world. Certainly need some basic basic skills too, and you can get it through a university or you can get it through an internship. But uh, it's really helpful to to get some kind of management training or, or or deep technical skills training before you go out to try to save the world. I
0: totally agree. I mean, my my first five six years working was for a heartless company that had the acronym Better Not Start a Family, and <laughs> I learned a whole bunch of stuff like managing crews yeah. that were twice triple times my age and right, right. how to compose emails where I'm trying to cover my butt. Per our last mm-hmm. discussion, Peter, you said this, um, valuable things that have helped me out today. And um, luckily I got out of that stuff as quickly as possible, but this, yeah, the stuff I mean, I I I'm, I'm, there Case in amazing. point too,
1: right. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I have that same type of history. And now I get to be an outsider and I certainly don't go back and say, well, when I had this job back in 1987, because that dates me, but also doesn't really help anybody because things have changed so much. But I'm embedded in many companies and I see how people work and I see what's effective and what's not effective. And, uh, you know, one of the one things I really have to do as a consultant and any consultant really, ha- you have to listen well and understand what a client's issues are before you can go in and say, well, this is what you have to do. Because every situation is a little bit different. So the Someone Else's Dad
0: podcast is, is some of that come about because you know, you never really listen to your own parents and it's gotta <laughs> come from somebody else, or is that just by coincidence? Are you
1: talking about my parents or are you talking about any or my kids not listening to their dad? Listen, I think I, I just thought it was a funny title. And and it really came about because I do so many young people uh, trainings, training sessions. I've, you know, I've I've been very lucky with with very big global clients. And during the summertime or in the fall, when they have their big new hire orientation, I I'm asked to come in to talk about communicating at work or welcome to the world of work, even if it's just sold as something like. Uh, how to? Peter's going to talk about good email etiquette in business. So it could be anything, but during the seminar, I tr- I try to give them a lot of information. But I also have a little couple of a, a side talks about what does this really mean? You know, when I see somebody coming in late, what might I think about that person? And a lot of people will say, well, you might think that, hello, well, you might think that they're not, they don't take you seriously, or they have bad time management skills. And I could say, that's absolutely right. That's my first impression. And I don't even know you. So what are you going to do to combat that if you do show up late? So I just take a lot of questions. And because I'm older than they are, and I, I take this persona of dad, and that's really came out with the title advice from someone else's dad. So the, the, Website came first and the Dear Dad column. And then there are some fun videos on there, which I'm, I have done several and I'm actually starting up again because they were very popular, uh, where I just come in uh, to a situation where young people are trying to manage a situation and dad comes in to give them advice. So I have that and then the podcast, and then the book came next and then the podcast came after that. So trying to do a whole multimedia, multimedia dad project. Switching over
0: from um, the older crowd with the kids um i have a lot of investors that are i call like the new vocal rich you know Mm -hmm. amazon will pay these guys 200 grand a year out of college a lot of these computer engineers or younger younger Mm -hmm. dentists younger doctors what are some of the do's and don'ts for those millennials entering the workplace since i'm technically not a millennial anymore
1: well, no, you are still a millennial. It's the next generation, which is Gen Z. So you're not. You are. You will always be a millennial generation. I'm older. I'm. I'm older than I look. <laughs> no, but you said you said you were 34, right? Yeah. Yeah. So 34. I mean, the millennial generation today is like age 27, 26 or ish to about 38. That's the millennial generation but that the new the people who are I'd say born after maybe 98, 97, 98 and, or into the workforce now they call them Gen Zs which is a completely different generation because we, those are the people who grew up with an you know an iPad in their lap in the car. so everything you know they' not they are total digital natives because they didn't know anything before they didn't know blockbuster video it, that didn't exist.
0: Are you a non incredited investor looking for opportunities to invest passively? How about a newer investor looking to get a bit of a track record and confidence from your spouse who's a little bit skeptic of what you've been listening to the last few months? And could you use the reinforcement of double digit returns paid like clockwork in the form of monthly dividends? The American Home Preservation Fund or AHP is currently open again and is looking to bring new investors with them. I have been investing with them since 2016 and originally I used it as a means to pay for my regular expenses. I started with $60,000 as my initial investment and that paid my car payment completely for me every single month. HB collaborates with existing homeowners to keep them in their homes via restructuring or selling the debts unlike their competitors. It's a way to make great returns while feeling good about making a social impact. After investing myself in the fund, it was awesome when owner George Newberry saw the impact Simple Passive Cashflow was making and eventually approached me to become a spokesperson of the company you can start investing with as little as hundred bucks. And if you want a free Bird Zone book, please send me an email at lane at com. For more information about investing with AHP, go to HPservicing.com slash investors. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. So, so how are the millennials, always- how are the millennials and Gen Z's as they enter the workforce? How, do, how are they viewed and what are their tendencies?
1: Well, I don't. I I think it's unfair to characterize every every person in one generation as something. But uh, I will say what you, the question you asked me: What should they prepare for as they enter the workforce? And I'm going to talk about skills that I think are really important that they are not they're not taught. And number one is I what I mentioned before is because I'm a consultant, the most important skill that they should think about when they enter workforce is how to listen better and i bring that up for a couple of reasons the first is it is you can never be a good employee unless you have demonstrated that you have heard what somebody else has said and that doesn't mean you can't take notes when someone's talking to you but it's really important for a manager to know that my message was heard so if you just look your notes again, or just to make sure it's like if someone says, okay, in other words, what, what you want me to do is this, and the deadline is this, and let me ask you one more question so I know exactly what's going on. That's very hard for young people to do because no one has no really trained them to do that. And the second thing I just want to mention about that is that it's very hard to listen. It's hard to listen for my generation because I'm just a human and I'm distracted by all sorts of things. But for the younger generation, let's say Gen Z, for example, they're distracted by their phones and it's new stuff popping up every day that is distracting them. It could be a YouTube video. It could be TikTok. It could be uh, their friends texting them. They are so used to having this in their hands that it is the natural thing to go to. But there are other things that distract everybody. There, There's the environment. It could be too hot in here. It could be that you, Lane, remind me of my, you know, my hated Uncle Max. You look just like him and I just, I think about that. Or it could be that I'm nervous or because uh, somebody is, I've had this question many times. What happens when the person I'm talking to is totally hot? How do I pay attention? Well, all right, listen. We're only human. Things; these things distract you, but you have to learn how to remove some of those distractions and pay attention. I think that entering the workforce, you should recognize that that is an important skill that does not come easily to people because there are ways that we can we have faked going about it. Like I'm looking at you right now, Lane, and you are no you, I, right now when I said that you know you look up all of a sudden. You've got your computer screen in front of you. I don't know what, what's going on on the other side of your of your life there. But we know socially when, I'm, when you're talking to somebody, you, like, what do you do? Show me that you're listening. Just show me. Do it. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Good eye contact, nodding your head. And now, have you ever faked that in your life? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. We all have. I mean, it, it's, it's just natural. But then you do the bogus thing where you pretend you're listening or you show you're listening by saying, oh, my God, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you faked that one? All Maybe. the time. All, all the time. time. Right. So, but... So we can then we can also ask bogus questions so like the easiest bogus questions like wow tell me more or like oh that sounds tough what happened next easy I'm not listening to anything but I am I know to ask a question but in business you can't get away with all the fakery you have to be able to say so in other words what you're telling me is this and I could ask you right now I could do a test for you and I say Lane what did I just say and I'm not going to do that because I don't want to put you on the spot but uh, that is something that honestly. Every young person should be prepared for that. Not that anyone's really going to be doing that, but it's, it's a great skill to master. Yeah, and, and I
0: think a lot of like the, the tendency for a lot of younger people is like, I don't want, you know, this is all BS, right? Like all these like soft skills, it's kind of like, man, like really, do I got to do that? I would rather measure my level of success by something I do really well, such as coding, right? Or some technical mm-hmm. skill. Mm-hmm. so maybe the trend these days is most people are kind of heading up this you know less less nonsense or seemingly nonsense and just be really really good at one thing a multi, a, a single tasker a technical person and um you know just like in investing you you need to zig when everybody's zagging. if everybody's trying to go down the technical route you need to try and do the other side
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you—you know—from a personal perspective, have you ever hired somebody to paint your house or to, you know, paint your apartment or fix your plumbing or put on an extra bathroom? You know, just hire somebody to do something for you. You must have done something like that. We've all, even at age thirty-four, you must have done, or you know, picked a clothing store. There has to be something. So, if you're dealing with someone who has, as you say, these binary binary skills, or someone who only knows how to. Fix plumbing or only knows how to paint houses or, or sew clothes. If you believe, okay, I don't care if there is a customer service aspect of it, I just want to know they can do it. Okay, that's fine. But I think most people would want to know there's a human side of the story. Meaning, if I am talking to an insurance agent that is going to insure my home or my car or my business, I want to know that the person has demonstrated to me that he or she understands what I've just said and why the solution that he or she is going to provide really suits me. And so I think that if you just want to be a coder and that's all you want to do, you don't have to talk to anybody. I'm not. If you think that's all you need, you just get business coming in the door or you're coding for somebody, fine. But if you're hired as a coder or you're putting yourself out to be hired as an independent coder and there are other people who are doing the same thing, how are you going to distinguish yourself? And I think part of it is just Again, the ability to listen and the ability to demonstrate great customer service. And that doesn't come naturally to people. So uh, these soft skills that people might poo-poo, as you say, I think are absolutely relevant if you just want to have any human interaction in the world. Right. And and I think like maybe it's just an age thing, but when I kind of got out of college,
0: I had the same thing, right? Like, oh, engineers, we're kind of the most important people because without us, nothing gets created, right? We solve mm-hmm. problems. Mm-hmm. The salesmen on the marketing side, they just sell the stuff, the hard work that we do. But right. It's not like one is more important than the other, is what I'm saying. And without that guy selling it, nothing happens. No, no money gets done. Well, when put I, the when cash I've dealt
1: when I've dealt with people, and for instance, in the financial world, but it could be the same thing. I mean, let's say, you know, I've worked for years with research analysts and institutional salespeople. And it's the same thing with a with an engineer and a salesperson. There's, you know, let's put a Venn diagram here, right? So on one side of the Venn diagram, just like this circle, is going to be the engineer. And the, if you just want to be an engineer or a coder and don't want to talk to anybody, you're on this side of that circle. And same thing if you're a salesperson. And let's say the quintessential bad salesperson. I know how to smile and dial and say, hey, Lane, how you doing? You know, all that with a good, you know, the out there personality. But I don't I know anything that I'm talking about. I am just can just smile and be Mr. Personality. So the best Engineers are the ones who understand the product, but also understand how it suits a specific client and could potentially sell it. And the best engineer, best salespeople are the ones who are very good with the personality side, but also have demonstrated they understand the product. And I, so it, it depends what your goals are, but I think it's a great, these are good skills to be able to think about and master if you want to move any place in the world. Right. I mean, look at and 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 nothing wrong with nothing wrong with. I mean, I have to say, just like my son, for instance, is is moving up in a company, and they said, "All right, you're at a place now where you want to be on the technical track or the managerial track." And you know, for my generation, it was always you just move to the managerial track because that's what the lockstep is. And unfortunately, in some organizations, that means that you end up with a lot of technical people in management who have not been trained to be very good managers. So, but I think in this case, they're saying, okay, you're right here. Which trajectory do you want? And they're both good trajectories. And he said to me, well, I would rather do the technical stuff because I like doing the work. And that's fine. Th- th- that's fine. Uh, but I just hope that they train with some management skills. Because even as a technical person, you're still going to have to lead projects. You know, Rather than just run the company, you're going to have to lead. You're going to have to build business that way too. So, uh, I, no matter I so I, can, I hear anyone who just wants to be As you said, a technical person or a coder, but I still think no matter which track you are taking, it's important to end up. Don't you like how I play with my fingers? I just do it all the time. Play my finger this or this, and now we'll do this. Okay. Yeah, I think like I'm not laughing. Whatever,
0: whatever, like a managerial side, you know, whatever. Sometimes it switches during error, right? But I think Mm -hmm. the person needs to realize what is it in their in their in their sphere. What is the need? What is, which which has more competition? Just like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't you don't no. go build like an office space when there's a lot of office, not not much demand for office. You do residential. Sure. it, sure. it all like sub market as we call call it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And, no, absolutely absolutely right. And going back Here's to Here's another like, thing that I say to you. Yeah, go ahead. Going back to your whole um I got another analogy, like in the MBA, who are the gunslingers? It's the it's the swingmen. It's not the guys who are seven feet in the block or not the shooters. It's the guys who can do both, right? It's the LeBrons. It's like the Giannis's. Those are the guys who transcend the game. Not saying that everybody can do that, but the market rewards those type of people.
1: Yeah, absolutely so. Here's another thing that that goes along with the listening is – with Gen Z and we're talking about the digital natives, how they just sit there and doing this. It's so much easier for those, for a young person to text or to use Slack or even email. But with other managers, they really do like face-to-face interaction, especially if something has is very detailed and I want the, the facial expression to match the message. This is critical. They're like, this is critical. You know, if I hear this is critical, I wanna have see face to face because we have to make a decision right away. And rather than going back and forth on email, it's just harder to do it that way. And I sometimes have a hard time getting young people off their asses to go and talk to somebody. Well, I mean I, I'm I'm kind of in the middle, You're right? Moving in your chair. I, yeah. I'm tell kind me. of in
0: the middle. Sometimes for younger people, the reason why they just wanna text is because the older person who might have a higher position, they don't listen. And in a lot of times in business these days, it's more of a collaboration than top-down yep. approach. And, yep. you know, older people can't text as fast, too. And you got to read everything. So even, <laughs> you know, all the voices get heard in that format. So I think it works both ways. And I don't know. I mean, I, I left, one of the big reasons why I left corporate America is because I just didn't like the whole hierarchy of, you know, seniority-based Um yeah. Not right, enough, but you know,
1: let, let's just remember, too, that, remember, there are gray areas. There are companies, like, that's what I'm finding with some of these young people that, that are starting their own companies. Yes, there is a hierarchy. I founded the company, so I am the president, and you are director of sales. But I, what I found in some of these, and against a small sample size, is that everybody is respected, and everybody knows that, that he or she has a specific role in the business that's going to affect its success. And I think one of the frustrations for younger people and younger generations, it could be the Gen Zs or the millennials, is that people are turned off as you were when they feel I'm just a cog and there's no, I have no, there's no, what's the incentive for me to work hard aside from a paycheck or aside from, then I've I've got to play all the political game and what's, what's really in it for me. And I think the best companies are ones that I'm going to motivate you, I think better by telling you that what you're doing is critical to the assignment that I'm working on. And so it's like, I'm, I'm including you on the team rather than just saying, hey, Lane, would you just do this for tomorrow morning or COB, or it's what's on the first, de- first thing on my desk in the morning? Well, that doesn't make you feel very good, does it? Then I just like, you're just giving me an assignment and say, I'll say, yes, yeah, sure. I'm yeah. going to give up my life just for you. Or Peter, but can if you I change say, this? I'm going to be here, please.
0: Can you change this color change of this button? Can you change
1: this color of this button <laughs> this next week? Can you do that for us? <laughs> yeah I can see I can see the anger just rising up from your face when you when people ask you to do that. What's like below your skill set yeah, this is a shade of orange that I really don't like. I think uh you're the right person to to play with a shade until you, <laughs> until you get it right and I approve. right. Is that the kind of shit that you had to deal with
0: no i was I was more in the in the field in doing no. real construction projects, but at the end of the day, I you see. know whether you're coding or building mm-hmm. buildings or in Wall Street, I think it's the same problems, right.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, go back to, to to real estate. I have a couple of real estate clients and I actually, when I, mean, I enjoy all my clients, I really don't have any that I don't enjoy. I love the projects that I get to work on and the people that I get to work on really all over the country and, and all over the world. So when I get to a real estate company, it brings back, you know, brings back the bad memories that I, when I was an associate doing all the grunt work, but I certainly still speak that language pretty well. And I, again, I don't want to overgeneralize, but so the frustrations are some of the real estate firms that I've worked for. Uh, are other skills like writing? You know, there's a lot of writing that that people in, in real estate investment have to do for their investors, and it's a, it can be very dry. Every time <laughs> I used to joke around, it was like a drinking game. Anytime someone talked about a property, and they said this property is extremely well located, uh, you, you take a sip of something because like every property in, in real estate parlance is extremely well located. I just watch out for that. But I, I find that it's hard to make things interesting, I mean, I help people write them to make it less dry, to be able to hit the main points clearer, to be able to speak in conclusive statements rather than nitty-gritty stuff. And if it, if a table can suit my understanding instead of a paragraph of data, and even in terms of market rents and historical rents and trends, I'd much rather look at, at a table and then have you give me a, a conclusion at the top of that table so I know what I'm looking at, so I don't just look at the numbers wrong it's much easier for me to look at things that way. So, i have a lot of fun with it. It brings back memories and um i'm still looking for that extremely well-located property for myself. Yeah. So, a lot of us are um you know, on the way to
0: financial freedom, picking up a rental property every year mm-hmm. or so. Mm-hmm. Great. Um what i would what i will probably tell a lot of people is it takes a lot longer than you think. I mean, i bought my first uh. rental in 2009. And um, mm-hmm. this is stuff is important. I got kind of in a bad state in five years working in because I realized that I wasn't going to be working in corporate America much longer, but it takes a lot longer than you think. Peter's book will hopefully make it a little bit less, uh, a little bit more uh, workable because it's always going to take longer. You, know, you do the math. You say you're going to be financially free in 10 years. It might take you 12 or 13 or you might change a job sure. here or there.
1: Sure. Sure. And, you know, I've got to tell you also, you know, I go back to, you know, my, my first job working at corporate real estate there, they were investing, I think point when I had joined maybe for four or five pension funds. And I was assigned, I don't know why, the, uh, a lot of the dog properties. Uh, some of some of them were all in one property, in one fund. Some of them were scattered around, but I guess they saw something in me. I don't know what. I'm not sure that was right anyway, to go and fix the bad properties. And and I have to say that that was a great learning experience for me. You really learned, okay, what not to do in the future. And things eventually turned around. I, I only stayed at that one job for two years. But it was it was very frustrating because you think you, you buy things that are at the right price. You know the market is going to be strong. You see what the the catalysts are going to be. Like there's going to be an off-ramp of off a, off a freeway that's scheduled to be in construction in two years, and that gets delayed because you know that's going to be a huge boon to the property in terms of its location. But these things take time. And you know I was there to fix things fast because we had to present to our, to our investors. But you just have to, I, th- I think also for, this is my advice to people who are reporting, is to, to be honest with, honest with things. Like, you know, it happens. It happens that there's going to be a delay, which is going to delay our lease up or there's going to be a delay that one of our blue chip tenants was acquired and there's going to be a consolidation. So not everything is rosy. Not everything is beautifully well located. Things just do happen. And it's nice if you put contingencies into your models, but I think all the investors are going to go, okay, that's interesting. So that happens. So what is our backup plan now? And what is the new pro forma based on that? And you know, from my perspective, investing for other on behalf of other people, uh, the first pa- you, you panic that they're going to pull their money. And it happens if you have several years of bad performance, but who is Going to expect things to be rosy all the time, you know. There has to be a balance. If there's a there's good, there's cycles that we deal with, and if something happens, okay, it's not anybody's fault. It's just things that people didn't anticipate. So, what are we going to do to fix the problem for our for, for the asset for the portfolio, etc.? And it's important to be able to articulate that very clearly.
0: Well, so um, Peter, again, your book is Flip Flops and Microwave Fish, available on Amazon, and
1: um, anything. If you else for the folks and, and Barnes and Noble, Barnes and B N. It's said Barnes and Noble also. If anyone still goes there, but uh, BN.com, which is still vibrant, actually listed it as as one of its top four independent books, and independent meaning that it's an independent This website offers very report.
0: general information concerning real estate st- for investment purposes. Tour, every investor, situation you need, always a, seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the a, value and uh, condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and as for companies, and license tax, investment, and our legal advisor before relying on any information contained here. Information is not guaranteed, as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion, and Things from, change, to, and I reserve the right so to change not, my mind. I mean, I, I Above all that the else, do your own analysis and think for yourself, because in the because end, of the you're the only person who is going to look out for your best thought interests. About things
1: and uh, needed some clarification. And my questions are really all across the board. All right, guys. we'll
0: um, make sure you check out the website at the events page, and hopefully I can meet up with you guys on my next travel out there. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thanks, Lane. It's been an absolute pleasure.